Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome, Foothills Christian Church. I am Douglas Peak. I've been the lead pastor for about 25 years, and we are in a series called Fight Club. And I want to invite you to be a part of everything that we're doing as a community of faith. You can take the next step by simply texting FH Next Step. It's all one word, no spaces, to 97,000. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to sign up for anything, but you'll know everything that's going on, especially if you're a man, you're interested in the boot camp coming up in a couple weekends. It starts Thursday night at like 7, and then it runs through Sunday, early morning or mid-morning. And uh, I'd love to have you up there because that's where we develop a common language on how men discover their masculine heart. This whole series uh, is really going to be interesting, and today you're going to find out why Foothills is a different and unique church. Because today we're going to talk about some things that if you brought your child with you and is sitting next to you, if you don't want to have some uncomfortable conversations, you might want to send them to children's ministry right now. Because uh, we're going to talk about some things that most people who do what I do, they don't talk about it. But it's one of the most predominant things that's going on in our culture and particularly in the lives of men. So if you want to avoid a conversation with your 10-year-old trying to explain what certain words mean, then you might say, how about you just go down and hang out there for a while? So uh, we have a great children's ministry program for them. They do some really great and wonderful things down there. Now, we, this whole series is about uh, every person who's been awakened from the sleep of death by the redemptive act of Jesus Christ through the power of his resurrection from the dead. So we were dead in our trespasses. We made alive to Christ. We are now in a battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities of this present darkness. And so uh, we talked about that last week. And today we're really going to help uh, focus on that the first battlefield that a man has to conquer in his life or have victory in has to do with his sex drive. So now if you want to know what we're talking about today and why I encourage you to send them down, now you know. All right. Now the reason why I think this is such an important topic for us to discuss today is because most men, in my opinion, don't understand their sex drive at all. Now some guys are thinking, what do you mean? I mean, that's all I think about. And, and ladies who are married to men are thinking right now, that's all we talk about. Um, you know, so there's got, well, but that, my point is deeper than that. And this is why we ta- have to talk about it and think about it and focus on it so much is because ultimately we're not at peace with it. We're not at peace with it because we don't understand it. And the reason we don't understand it is because you basically have two options in your culture today. The first option, guys, is this, is that your sex drive is in charge. And because your sex drive is in charge, it functions as a God in your life. And what that means is that it's your sex drive that tells you who you are as a man. So if a man is uh, sexually attracted to a woman, he gets married to her, and then he's sexually attracted to another woman, and then he gets uh, uh, his sex drive says, hey, you're attracted to that women, woman, then that man says, oh, I must not be meant to be in a monogamous relationship, you see, because my sex drive is telling me who I am. 
Uh, your sex drive in our world today is like, well, if you get involved in pornography and you, it's like pouring gas on a natural drive, it just gets, whoo, it gets out of control. And you say, but that's who I am. So I, I don't have any control. That's me. I'm just that way. Uh, if a man uh, has an attraction towards another male, then he says, well, I'm homosexual and that's who I am. I, this is my identity and you're not allowed to tell me my identity's wrong. As a matter of fact, culture exists under this model to affirm my identity. This is a philosophical position of the psychological personhood. It comes out of Hume and Marcuse, and I could go on and on and on, bore you to death and put you to sleep, so I won't. Um, but uh, what happens is this model says that your sex drive defines you. It tells you who you are. And therefore, you should worship it. You should do what it says. You should follow it. It's in control, and it's the God you worship, whether you call it a God or not. I think that confuses a lot of guys. I really do. Because what happens when guys buy into that and they live that way, what happens is they don't ever really feel like a man. They don't feel satisfied. They don't have a fulfillment. There's something missing, you know, uh, when I was younger and in college, there were guys, you know, their whole job was to bed as many women as they can. And even to this day, those guys have no idea what it is to be a man. They live vapid and in empty lives. Uh, one of my best friends in high school, and then we went to college together, he struggled with homosexual tendencies, and he kind of went back and forth and back and forth. He was an architect in Seattle. He got HIV, and he decided to stop taking all of his drugs. See, right now, if you get HIV, there's this little thing you can take. It's like a cocktail, they call it. And you basically live with it like diabetes. But because he could never feel, he had no peace with himself. He never felt like a man. What's interesting, out of all of this, my friend group, he was the best looking and most athletic out of all of us. All the girls liked him first. And, and he took it and he passed away in his mid-30s because he just couldn't find a reason to live anymore. So that's what I mean when I say men don't understand their sex drive. You see, I'm not talking just from a philosophical position, a biblical position, a critic of society position, but I'm talking about a real life from the heart experience. And that is, is it that our society says it's what defines you. The other, the other option, though, is this. It comes out of what is known as philosophical, or excuse me, religious Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a philosophical position that really took uh, Socrates and Plato's theory of dualism or idealism and basically said anything in the spirit realm is perfect and everything in the material realm is evil. So all flesh is evil. And this kind of seeped into the church uh, in the first century church. And as a matter of fact, the, the letters that John wrote, first, second, and third John, right before Jude and Revelation, those were written as a refutation of Gnosticism. Because what he was trying to say is that, no, Jesus Christ rose in the flesh, so flesh isn't evil, you know, and these things are meant to come together. You can't separate them and bifurcate them. They're apart. So, but religious Gnosticism says this, your sex drive is evil and you better suppress it and control it because if you don't, it's going to destroy you. And so a lot of guys are scared to death of their sex drive and they're always trying to suppress it and they're always trying to control it. And when you try to suppress and control a natural drive, what happens? Yeah, you know, a dieting illustration is appropriate here, you know. 
If I go around all day long, I get up in the morning and say, I'm not going to eat any donuts today because donuts are unhealthy. Donuts are bad for me. I'm not going to eat those, you know, those maple cake ones with the maple glaze. I'm not going to do that. And I'm certainly not going to have anything to do with those nice raised ones from Krispy Kreme that melt in your mouth with a little chocolate frosting. What do you think I'm doing at 8.30 in the morning? I'd like two dozen donuts, please, and a gallon of milk. See, when you try to suppress it's stuff because you don't understand it, what happens? It actually becomes, it dominates you, even controls you even more. So what we're going to do is we're going to see what Jesus has to say about this, and we're going to dig into it today. And you can follow along uh, by taking notes through our phone app. I have all of this stuff with the data and the articles and the sightings there as well. Jesus spoke to this issue of sex drive in Matthew chapter 19 when Pharisees came to him and tried to trap him. And they asked him a question, when is it legal for a man to divorce his wife? And the underlying current here, and we see this in his response, is they were kind of asking the question, well, if a man isn't getting what he wants from his wife, is it okay for him to set her aside and go get another one? Maybe, I don't know, maybe he's trading in on a new model or something. And so is it okay to do that? So what he's trying, they're trying to do, they're always trying to trap Jesus. And so this is what Jesus says, beginning with verse 4 of Matthew chapter 19. Have not you read, he replied, that at the beginning... The Creator made them male and female and said, now he actually quotes from the Old Testament, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife or united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So he quotes from the Old Testament there. Now he adds to the Old Testament. Listen to what he says. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So normally we could go through lots and lots of verses, but this one is so power-packed. I want to break it down and get super specific, okay? And talk about how what Jesus has to say can help men in particular understand their sex drive, okay? And so the first thing I want to do is I want you to see, it says, the Creator created them. Why did Jesus say that? Because everywhere else when he talks about God, he always says, God, my Father, or my Father in heaven. But here he says, Creator. So when you create something, what is he trying to get at? In my opinion, whenever you create something, that means there's intent, right? You're creating something, you have intent in it. So the Creator intended for a purpose to create them male and female. He says, have you not read that the Creator created them male and female? So this is a, a, a tip of the hat. This is an affirmation that there is a binary nature to the universe. Now, today, many people question that. But the difficulty with questioning it is it's completely unscientific. Because if you get into physics, if you get into quantum mechanics, what you start to see is that there is a binary nature to the universe. You have a positive, neg neg a positive charge, you have a negative charge in the electron. When you look at things that are attracted, things are either attracted or they're repulsed. You, you could just go on and on about the, in physics and in quantum mechanics and theoretical math and everything. There's a binary nature of everything. Everything that we do technologically today is run on a binary system of zeros and ones. Everything in technology runs on a binary system of zeros and ones. In our very biology and life, 
We have a binary system of life. That's the way it is designed. You see it in your chromosomes. You see it in the DNA base pairs. See, everything is paired. You look at your chromosomal makeup right here. What you have is that every living human being has 23 pairs of chromosomes, right? Now, you'll notice that what these all is each one of these things, they call it an X. You, this kind of, these are actually um, ele micron electronic uh, uh, telepathy. They, they have just really taken these things and pictures of them, and this is what they actually look like. What you'll notice is down here is then you get over here, and for you to be a male, you got to be deficient in the last one. So you got a little short guy right there, okay? And that, they call that a Y. Because all males and all females um, have a certain pattern. All females have 23 pairs of XX, okay? Males have a pattern of XY. And you'll notice these long, luscious, lovely chromosome with DNA base pairs in them. And then you see this really long one and then this short little guy for guys. That means absolutely nothing, but I thought it'd be fun to point that out. <laughs> doesn't mean anything. There's really no significance, you know, biologically, but it certainly is funny. Um, at least I thought it was funny. Now, what happens is because a guy has a Y, I want you to know something in, in Biology 101, and maybe you didn't listen, and this is the part where you're really going to uh, have fun explaining this to your 11-year-old, and that is this, is that once an egg is inseminated and fertilized, it embeds in the uterine wall. Only females, XX, can produce eggs. Only females can have a uterus. Once that happens, is that is called an embryo. Every single embryo, 100% of them, are female. Did you know that? That kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? But if in that DNA base pair, there's a Y chromosome, very early on, very early on, the first two weeks, that thing says to the mother, flood me with testosterone. And in that moment, testosterone floods into that embryo and it changes anatomically, physiologically, chemically into a male. And so, what happens is testosterone from day one affects everything about a male. It affects his self physically, okay? Up until the 70s, every gender reveal party happened it wherever the birth took place, right? Oh, we have a boy. We have a girl. That worked for 7,000 years, <laughs> right? No question. Because testosterone changes, testosterone changes the physical attributes of the body, of the male. That's why he is a male and not a female. It affects the way he thinks. It affects what drives him, what he uh, subconsciously prioritizes. Because testosterone at every single level creates innate drives within him. And I want to show you really quick about the principle of testosterone. It is a table, and it's going to kind of pop up one row at a time, since I couldn't fit it all up on the screen. But what happens is males have drives that are different 
different than female drives. And these male drives present them way, themselves in ways that are sometimes destructive and sometimes positive. And what our society is doing today is it only notices the negatives. And so it says, let's get rid of masculinity. Let's call it toxic. And let's treat and try to feminize masculinity. Uh, not that feminine's, feminine, that feminization is bad in itself because feminine women are awesome. But a guy being feminized into a woman is not because it goes against his nature and drive. So I want to show you how, ladies in particular, you might want to take notes, is this is how males are driven, if you're raising a boy or you're married to one, okay? And that is, is number one, is that innate drive that testosterone produces in all males is competitiveness. You know, you look at little boys, they are so competitive about every single thing. You know the story of the little boy, uh, he was sitting at the table, and uh, his, you know, his mom said, you can't get up at the table until you drink your milk. And so that little boy said, no, I'm not going to drink my milk. And so he sat there for 30 minutes. And then suddenly dad comes home from work and says, what's going on here? You can feel the tension in the, the room. And she says, well, John isn't going to, he can't get up from the table and drink his milk until he drinks his milk. And so dad says, I'll take care of it. So he goes over, he gets a gallon of milk out of the fridge. He gets a glass. He walks over, he sets it on the table. He pours himself a little bit of glass, measures it next to John's. He looks at it and he goes, I bet you I can drink this faster than you. He starts chugging it. And John goes, and he loses. And you know what he does? He slams his cup on the table and goes, dad, best two out of three. That's right. Boys are competitive. They're competitive, you know, every step of the way, constantly competing, constantly competing with each other. Why is that? Because it's an innate drive. It can come out negatively. And if it's negative, they will win at all costs, destroying people around them. This is generally called war. You have to kill the other person to win. So this competitive drive, right, can, can create bad things, and so that's why so many people today have come up with the notion, well, let's get rid of this innate male drive, right? And so we'll have games where there's no winner. We'll have communities where there's no ribbons. We'll do all of these things. But if you get rid of that, guess what? You also get rid of this because it's a male drive of competitiveness that, may, that allows him to become the best that he can be. It sharpens his skills. It challenges his limits. It allows him to do things that the past generations were never able to do. Many of the technologies, many of the advances, many of these, all, all the things that we have today uh, are a result of competition. Every safety feature in your car today that keeps you safe was uh, innovatively created on a racetrack before it went into the car. You see, the whole notion of disc brakes and AB, all of these types of things happen in a competitive environment where men are competing with each other to be the very best that they can be. And when they do that, they discover things, they innovate things, they build things that you could never imagine. Another innate drive that happens between males and females, and we're speaking generalities here. You can always find an exception one way or the other because everybody has differing levels of testosterone. Everybody has different levels of estrogen, right? It's, uh, there's spectrums on both sides. But another innate thing that is unique to men in a lot of ways is this whole notion of risk-taking. Men love to take risks. They're always challenged. Hey, let's jump off the roof into the pool. You know, let's do that. What is it if you have a pool in your backyard? Men want to climb the highest thing they can to jump into the pool, right? Why is it that men, they get in a car and the first thing they want to do is what? See how fast it can go, right? Before you lose control. Well, how will you know? Well, I'll start to lose control and back off. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't want to be riding with you when that happens. But men are risk takers, you know. Men will drink more than anybody else. They will eat more than anybody else. They will do sports longer. I mean, they will take, they'll jump off things. They'll do things. People look at that and go crazy. In negative ways, that can, that's a flirting with destruction. They'll take the family uh, entire uh, 401k and bet it on red at Vegas, you know, they'll do that. That's very negative. They'll, they'll run wide height. Men have many more outbursts of anger. You know, they'll just let it rock because they're taking a risk and they'll just, they'll just flail the skin off of their children or their wives or their friends or their boss because they're risk takers. You know, I'm going to tell people what I really, really think. But that's purely negative and destructive. And some people say, well, because masculinity is so toxic, let's get rid of this drive to take risks. But when you get rid of that drive, you, you take away the capacity to be heroic and adventurous. You see, men do really heroic things. Many of the things that were discovered on the planet, pushing the limit of human endurance, uh, came from heroic pursuits. Men will have unbelievable risks in order to build something new. You know, you think back to uh, the, like uh, Steve Jobs, you know, he leaves Stanford to do what? You know, to start a computer company. And today, you know, smartphones are doing so many great things. They will take risks like never before. Another innate drive that comes from testosterone within men is called protection. And the whole notion of protection is this, is that uh, he will protect what's his, even to a fault. Now, in a negative way, that can make a man very selfish, materialistic, and unable to be generous. I'm protect what's mine, and everything is mine. And if he's a narcissist, what does he think is his? Yeah, everything is mine is mine, everything is yours and mine, and I'm going to have everything. But what happens is that if you take that away, this, this natural drive, and you try to suppress it, you also lose this, sacrifice, compassion, and selflessness. I was just reading about two weeks ago uh, on the Florida coast, a man in his 40s, you know, kind of out of shape, and he took his uh, 11-year-old son and his 11-year-old son's friend to the beach. They got caught in a riptide, and so he swam out there and saved him. But because he put so much stress on his body and he was out of shape, you know, he passed out when he saved him. They took him to the hospital, and he died, saving his own son's life. See, why do men do that? because they have this drive to protect. Guys, if somebody comes crashing into your house in the middle of the night, what are you going to do? You're going to jump up and run out there in your boxers, you know, trying to find something to defend yourself on the way out. Why? Because you're driven to protect. You know, I was reading uh, uh, back early on in the Afghanistan war. Uh, they set up, uh, I think it was at Bagram there, they had a base, and what happened is a bunch of... Uh, uh, Taliban had taken a big, huge truck, uh, like a four-ton truck, and they'd filled it with explosive, turned it into just a massive bomb. And what had happened is there was a, there was a, a change of a two, an 18, two 18-year-olds that had never met each other before. They'd just been positioned at that base, assigned to that base, put on guard duty to protect that little thing, you know, driving up and with that little bar, and they're sitting there. They saw that thing come around, that truck come around, and they knew immediately what it was. And those two young men sat there and fired into that truck to protect all of the soldiers that they had yet to even meet or drink a beer with. 
And they kept firing into that vehicle until it came to a halt after it had run them over and killed them. But they saved the entire base. They gave their lives to protect their soldiers. That's called, that is called sacrifice. The overwhelming majority of people who volunteer for our military services to protect our country are males. The overwhelming number of people who sign up to wear the uniform as a cop or a state trooper and take the risks that they do are what? Males. Why? Because they're driven in a heroic way to be selfless and to protect. They protect their families, they're protecting their communities, their friends, and their neighbors. That's what they do. Then I had a fireman say, you didn't talk about firemen coming in and always, you know, rescue the cops after they get in trouble. And I said, well, I don't know if I can make that point uh, at all. That would create great debate within our church. So, because we have both. The other thing is that all, all, there's innate drive within men to make a mark. You see this early on, you know, young girls, they'll, they'll take pictures, they'll draw pictures and stuff, and you put them up on the wall or you put them up on the refrigerator, right? And it'll be up there for nine months, right? A, a boy, a little boy, what he'll do is take his Legos and he'll build a Lego thing, right? You know, and he'll build this big, oh, what are you building? I'm building a tower. What's your tower going to do? It's going to be the tallest tower ever, you know? And then what does he do, you know? He goes, gets a, a, his, his thing, and he stomps on it and kills it with his Tyrannosaurus Rex. Ah, what are you doing? Why are you killing? You just built that thing. Ah, you know, he wants to eat it, you know? So if it's the male drive to make a mark is real because of testosterone, it, if it's negative, it'll cause you to be destructive, tear down, and despair. You see this all the time right now in downtown Portland. You have 99% males running around dressed in black in downtown Portland every night, burning and looting and destroying. They're, they're anarchists. All they care about is destruction. And you, people say, what? what gets into the brain of a young man to do that? Testosterone, to make his mark. That's his chosen path. That's what drives him. All they care about is destruction. Then on the other side of it, though, is if you get rid of that, what do you do? Is you also get rid of the innate drive within men to build, provide, and establish a legacy. You know, you look at the things that many men have built, cities and nations and civilizations. It's been unbelievable, careers and businesses and, and all kinds of things that provide for thousands of people. I mean, that's phenomenal. Why, why, why does a man uh, have a drive to build those things? doesn't mean a woman can't, but predominantly this is a guy thing. Why is that? Because he he's driven by testosterone to make a mark. Now, I know I'm being a little long-winded on this one because I want you to make sure, I want to make sure that you are with me on this last one because there is a drive in every male from 12 to 82, and that is his sex drive. Now, it's going to be at all different levels for all different people, because there's a spectrum, but there's only males and females. And on the male side, the guy has to come to terms with his sex drive. And if he doesn't win this battle, he will then become a person whose sex drive teaches him to objectify women and other people. They become simply opportunities for him to satisfy himself. He will develop selfishness, narcissistic tendencies, and he will ultimately be irresponsible. So in our society today, the, the whole notion now has been, well, let's suppress that and let men say men should have to have less of that. But the problem is, is that if you do that, then you lose the goal of what a sex drive can bring within a man, and that is unity 
intimacy and fulfillment. When he understands that his sex drive is given to him by God for a purpose, and when he understands that purpose, everything changes. And Jesus tells us what that purpose is. Look at what he says. When he adds to the Old Testament phrase, he says this. They are no longer two, but now one flesh. The intent of your sex drive is to build intimacy with that human being that you have made a covenant with, that woman in your life. It is designed, when you understand its purpose, to bring you closer to her and build intimacy with her. Ladies, one of the predominant ways that your husband feels close to you is not having a long conversation on the couch with wine and frilly slippers and, you know, talking about goals and expectations of life. Is that fun? Yeah. As a guy, do you want to know that stuff? Sure. But if you want to feel for a guy, this is his drive, is the way he feels and experiences intimacy at the deepest level with you is in that intimate sexual act. That's where you move out of the roommate relationship into the lover, see? And when that happens in the context of a covenantal marriage relationship, it is designed, guys, to bring you the greatest fulfillment, the greatest sense of what it means to be a man, the greatest direction of meaning and purpose in your life. And ultimately, it takes every one of those drives in that table, it pushes them out of the negative side and into the positive side. All because you understand the purpose of your sex drive. This is why Satan uses it as the first form and primary battlefield in your life. Because if he can, if you lose this battle, then you will lose your masculine heart. If you lose this battle, you will lose your masculine heart. That's why you have to fight for it and you will fight. But you can fight knowing that you have a promised victory. You know from Ephesians chapter 6, you have the weapons of warfare that always work. They always bring victory when you fight that battle. And you don't even have to fight it in your own strength because in Ephesians chapter 6 it says, we will fight with the mighty power of God. You must embrace your masculine heart by fighting for the intent of your sex drive, which is to build intimacy with another woman. Fight against all the things that will interfere with that. Because if you don't and you lose that battle, you lose the battle for your masculine soul. Ali Bastuki has a quote where she says, when men embrace their masculinity in a way that is healthy and productive, they are leaders, they are warriors, they are heroes. When they deny their masculinity, they run from responsibility, leaving destruction and despair in their wake. Healthy families, healthy communities, strong nations need men, and they need the leadership and bravery of good men. Bad men don't stop being bad because they have less testosterone or less drives or being feminized or turned passive. As a matter of fact, they get worse. Bad men only stop being bad men when they learn how to be good men. 
this notion that we should view the masculinity of men and the masculinity of their heart as something bad or wrong is going to be so destructive in our communities. As a matter of fact, it's having a real-world impact. In 1960 was a sexual revolution where everything was turned upside down, sexual relationships were totally changed, and people said, this is going to lead us to a brighter future of human potential and development. Well, Dr. Shanna Swan just has a book that came out, The Largest Metadata Analyst Ever, and she put it in a book called Countdown, How Our Modern World is Threatening Sperm Counts, Altering Male and Female Reproduction Development, Imperiling the Future of the Human Race. And in it, she specifically says this. She says that since 1973 and 2011, sperm counts have dropped over 60% in males. And in the last 10 years, that trend has accelerated. They said, if this doesn't turn around, by 1945, or excuse me, by 2145, 2150, we aren't going to be producing babies anymore. The global fertility rate in that, just that period of time, from 73 to 2011, has dropped from 5.1 per children born per uh, female to 2.4. So it's, the fertility rate globally is cut in half already. So this is having a real world implication. So we don't need less masculine men. We need more masculine men. But men who understand the intent and purpose of their sex drive, which is to build intimacy with this other person. And so I want to I stop anything that's going to interfere with that. And I'm going to stop the devaluation of masculinity. Because let me tell you what, that will not end well in our society. Because feminine, passive men aren't going to stop evil. They're not going to stand in the gap. They're not going to stand there like two 18-year-olds looking at a gigantic bomb, you know, on eight wheels barreling towards them, and stand their ground and empty clip after clip into that thing until it stops to save the lives of thousands of people. They're going to sit there and think about, I'm not in my safe place. My feelings are so out of whack right now. Amen. You know? I don't care if the guy's 18 or 80. What do you want? You want a man who will stand there and do what needs to be done. That's called being a man. <laughs> men, Satan wants to convince you to be passive. He wants you to be passive because passive men don't defend, they don't protect, they don't provide. Passive men don't lead. Passive men don't do what needs to be done in order for society to survive, for their families to survive, to, for their friends to survive, for their very churches, their places where they worship the God who has called them to the greatest adventure in life to survive. When you look at raping and murdering and violence and looting and destruction, 98% of the people doing that are males. But guess what? You need males to stop it. You want to stop war? Then you want more manly men on your side because people are going to be afraid to go to war with you. Last week, I, I quoted an old Latin phrase about uh, vis pace parabellum. And if, if you want peace, prepare for war because you don't mess with really strong people.
people. And it's the same thing what Jesus said. If you want to plunder the house, the first thing you have to do is enter the house and do what? You got to bind the strong man. Don't be bound. It's very important to understand that. And that's why he says at the very end this, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Well, obviously that means once a man has made a covenant with a woman, don't let that separate. But how's that attack happening right now? All right. Well, when it comes to your sex drive, what it does to guys is it tries to convince them that, well, my sex drive is really just something that needs to be satisfied. If it's satisfied, I'm happy. Instead of seeing it for its intended purpose to build intimacy with your wife, to be closer to her and to be drawn closer to her and to know her more, because the issue that most couples deal with is the issue of appetite. And I've never met two people, a male and a female, who had the exact same appetite when it came to the sex drive. I've just, in 35 years of ministry, no one has ever called me, emailed me, texted me, asked me to pray for them, or sat in my office counseling and say, you know what? We are matched 100% perfectly on our appetite, and we just wanted you to know that as a pastor. <laughs> it's never happened. So, so how do you resolve that? Well, what happens is if there's a mismatch in appetite, what you have to do is you ask yourself, look, what is it trying to tell me about my need for intimacy with my wife. What is, and so that's something that needs to be discussed and debated. If you can't talk about it, then that means there's a lack of intimacy. You, you want intimacy because that is the calling of the human heart. Don't let anything separate you from what God has joined. And one of the things that God has joined is he has joined purpose to your sex drive. He has joined intent to your sex drive. So don't let the world divide that. Don't let the world tell you it's just an appetite that should be worshiped that defines you as a human being. Don't let religious Gnosticism tell you that it's evil and wrong and it must be suppressed. But sell to yourself like a cherished thing, a gift given by God. I am going to use it for its intended purpose at the intended time in the intended way. Don't allow porn to influence your sex drive and turn it into something debased. Don't allow sexual immorality to come into your life and confuse you. I know guys that are just some of the greatest guys in the world, but they're never able to be feel fully like a man, understand who they truly are, to be at peace with themselves because their sex drive drives them instead of them driving it. Relationships uh, uh, that are intimate, are known to be ones that fulfill the biblical admonition to come together in a holy covenant of marriage. And then that way it will be wonderful and fulfill its intent and purpose. And so I want to just close men by saying that when it comes to your sex drive, understand it in this context. The pursuit of the highest calling of your masculine heart is love. It's true and authentic love. Adventure is awesome, doing adventurous things, but you're not going to find your masculine heart there. Challenges and risk-taking are an adrenaline rush and fun, but you'll never find your masculine heart there. Building a house, building a business, building an empire or a career is a great achievement. I encourage you in that regard, but you're not going to find your masculine heart there. In order to be truly a man, sense you are a man, know you are a man, feel like a man, you must pursue the highest calling of the masculine heart, and that is authentic love. Without this pursuit, all the other great things in your life will mean less. So fight for your life. 
Fight for your soul. Fight for your heart and your future by saying, I know why this has been given to me. It's a gift from God, but it's given for an intent and a purpose, and I will not allow the world to deceive me any other way because the world is becoming more evil, more dangerous. The world is becoming more upside down, and it needs masculine men, manly men, who rise up to defend, protect, provide, inspire, encourage, and most importantly, to love. And you know who that man is? That man is you. That man is God calling you to become who you are meant to be in him, because we live in a world where there are sheep and wolves, and a lot of people are sheep, And there's a whole lot of wolves out there trying to devour the sheep, devour children, devour people with crazy ideologies, mixed up morality, upside down ethics, uh, inability to even know what's true and or not. The wolves are devouring. They're running wild. And the only thing to stand in their way is not a sheep, but a sheepdog. And I'm asking you to become a sheepdog in your life. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.